0: To show up every day to do it and to know that you're making a difference, no matter how big or small the impact is in the actual like numbers or what's going on around you. Like it is a ripple effect and it is it is um, cumulative, and it's no different in partnerships or friendships or you know whatever the whatever the relationship is with self or other. The practice of being
1: seen is about understanding who you really are and daring. To share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for
2: seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca
1: Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is the practice of being seen. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today we're excited to have Amy Tetsumi with us. Amy gathers
2: women together for their sacred work. She's a portal for them to remember who they are and who they have always been. She's a healer, teacher, and guide who has worked with over 10,000 clients during the past 15 years. She blends her experience as an art psychotherapist, daring way consultant, Koya teacher, tantric coach, and retreat guide to support women in knowing, Trusting and growing their gifts in their life, work, and relationships. In 2017, Amy is gathering women in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, Mount Shasta, California, and Aso, Japan, for
0: sacred retreats.
2: Welcome, Amy. We're so glad you're here with us.
0: What a lovely introduction. I'm like, this is like NPR times 10. <laughs> oh wow! Hi, Amy.
1: <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> Oh, it's so good to have you here. I know um, we've been flirting with having you on for quite a while, and then recently you posted this gorgeous picture of yourself, um, and I think you titled it something like Sacred Rebel. It totally captured our attention, and we said we just we couldn't wait to talk to you anymore. We needed to talk to that Sacred Rebel. Thank you. And then when
2: you wrote to us a little bit about what you wanted to talk about today, and you offered us sacred rebellion as the first item, but then followed that with sacred leadership and sacred unions. It was just one of those universal yeses just came up from the earth. So we'd love to hear you talk as as we dive in. I think we'll really pull these different pieces apart and explore them individually. But there's a relationship here, I understand, between sacred rebellion, sacred leadership, and sacred union. Can you bring us into that?
0: Yeah. You know, I've been on a path of awakening for a long time and I resisted it. And then, uh, I really started to wake up profoundly, um, probably last year, but, uh, the daring way work, um, I was an early adopter of Brene's work that really started to open me to who, who I've been. Uh, but then, uh, becoming a Koya teacher and a Tantra coach last year and seeing, um, What was blocked in me from my own inner rebellion really illuminated um, what could possibly unfold um, in other women. Hmm. And so um, I think this is my experience of people is that there are people who are going to be awakened in this lifetime. There are people who are not up for awakening and it's not a hierarchy and there's not um, a better or worse. It just is. And um, the election became the portal for the awakening for many people. Um, and um, <clears throat> for me, a sacred rebel is someone who is really um, aligned with their truth and integrity and um, is just as lit up or awake or um, passionate about what the highest good for all people are or is. Um, and um, around the election, a lot of people are really enraged and um like spewing vitriol still, um, being in Washington DC as a practitioner, um, but also working with people from all over the world, it is, it's really clear that part of my work is to move people into their sacred rebellion out of fear. Um, and fear is when you, when I, when I see, um, people reacting from anger and rage and vitriol and you can have just as much truth and integrity and rebellion in you, when you, when you come from an aligned place and to truly have a a, a sacred rebellion internally and externally, you need to be aligned. And, um, when you're blocked inside because of your stuff, you cannot be in your sacred rebellion. (laughs) You cannot, you cannot channel the sacred rebel that's, that's fighting for many things in life. Mm. Um, and, um, a lot of people that I attract, um, are really, um, amazing women, who are really impassioned about a lot of important causes or live really important lives for many other people and where they're blocked is on the inside for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, my work is, it's helping people to see that when you have, like, I think about it as the scales of justice, when you have this part of you, that's really like, like I'm going to get everything right. I'm going to make the world right. And I love everyone with my whole heart. I'm going to make it so much better. We're going to come and write the world. And, um, there's a big difference between when you have that part and then you are not fighting for yourself.
2: Is that Um, kind of the dance between the masculine and the feminine? Do you pull that in there?
0: So in DC, what what I see is the diminished masculine. And so there's the divine masculine and there's divine feminine and there's the diminished masculine and there's the diminished feminine. And um, in women and in men in DC, um, the diminished masculine is the primary psyche. And so um, when you have it's your like, own. In- it's
1: the opposite of the divine without it going into the other, it, like it's not divine masculine versus divine feminine, but it's the diminishment of the, div- of the divine
0: parts right. of either side. Right. And so we don't have like, there's, there's a, if we have the divine and the not so divine in DC, we're in the not so divine most of the time. So we're, we're really living in the shadow. Um, we're living in the swamplands of the soul of, uh, America. We're in the, we're in, uh, you know, a lot of shame in DC a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of the hustle for worthiness. Um, and so when you have the hustle, you have perfectionism. And when you have perfectionism, you have the inability to be seen. Mm-hmm. And um, what the election did was it illuminated, oh, we, we pro- were projecting onto Trump, um, this experience of a person who is everything that our sisi poita selves are against. (laughs) And how could this happen? And um, why did this happen and how could this happen? And what, um, you know, many people, not just myself, we've gotten is that if um, Hillary would have been elected, um, it would have been amazing for women, yes. And collectively, we would not have made, we would not have woken up collectively into our power and gifts to really change the world. And so with the election of Trump, it's been, we have to rise into our own power. There's no one that's going to save us. We are going to save ourselves. And that rather than trying to, you know, of course there needs to be, you know, um, uh, accountability and, um, you know, making sure that things are going the right way, you know, and and in the realm of metaphysics, when you think about, um, putting energy towards something. A lot of my clients are, um, non-white immigrant women and, um, or, or, uh, you know, other it's like I live in intersectionality in my practice. And, um, when they came in after the wall, you know, being thrown around or the ban, um, some of them were, they could, they could feel in their bodies that no ban, no wall, um, anything that you're putting no in front of, it's still putting energy towards the thing. So even though uh. many people are rising up and saying, I don't, you know, th- I'm not for the wall, I'm not for the ban, w- we're still giving energy towards the wall and the ban. And what that comes from fear and and there's, it does not diminish people's real lived experiences. I have, you know, Rebecca, I've seen from some of your posts on Facebooks, you know, you come from a lineage of people that have experienced the Holocaust. And I have a number of Holocaust survivors and, you know, lineage wise in my, in my practice. And when, um, when Trump was elected, many of them came and said, this feels like pre pre Holocaust Germany. And I take that, that is very real. So I'm not diminishing anyone's lived experience or, you know, my husband's an immigrant, he chooses, he's, um, has a green card, but he doesn't want to be an American citizen. So my daughter is five years old and she said, you know, does this mean that Papa and I will have to go live in Japan because we're Brown and because we're not American? And, you know, if, if, uh, and I don't talk about politics like directly, but we go to, we live in a very diverse neighborhood and I'm sure that her classmates are talking about it. And I'm sure some of her classmates are not, um, They don't even have visas. So, you know, what she hears is very different than maybe even many of the people who are listening to your podcast, but the, the piece when I talk with clients or when I, um, teach classes and I talk about, you know, what's going on around being seen with, with this dynamic is getting out of fear because fear is only going to add it. Fear only attracts fear. So what we need to put energy towards in is, you know, racial equality, uh, justice for all people and the faith and the trust that the right people will be called to step up and make sure that things are even better than, than they are currently. Um, And so, you know, we saw that with the, with the, with the ban. like the ACLU blew our minds. Like, you know, I was like, they stepped "Um, up. Yeah. Like, and everyone is, everyone is stepping up and you can't step up from a place of fear. There might be like, it's not like you're superhuman. You don't have any fear, but (laughs) when you learn to align and integrate, you come into your own sacred union. So, you know, a little while ago,
1: you were talking about moving into the sacred rebellion, um, moving out of fear and moving into sacred rebellion, how that those went together. Yes. So I wonder if this is a place to kind of talk about that a little bit more, to talk about how to get out of those blockages that are caused by fear and into what that alignment is, what that truth is, and how how to put the energy into that place because whether it's politics or it's just something within your own life and your relationships, I'm thinking this is, um, this is something that everybody faces at some point. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. So the, the politics part, like I think many people can relate to it, but like, yes, when you're, when you're triggered in your relationship, your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your child, relationship with your family of origin, um, you know, that place of, I can't believe this is happening. The
1: place of resistance.
0: Yeah. The place of like, um, blind, feeling blindsided, feeling in despair or feeling hopeless um, like why is it always like this um, it's easy to go into the stories that we tell around fear which then are like masked by anger or rage or shut down um, and so I think have, for many people who have that experience of helplessness and, and fear and kind of just what what it feels like is like, I'm fighting for this, but really it's, I'm fighting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, be, I, I know it's having practices to get into your body to clear the physical, uh, sensations. And so, um, one of the ways that's very helpful, um, is from, from Koya, um, we do a series of literally shaking that comes from models from, the animal kingdom, when animals have trauma, they shake it off and then they keep keep on going. When kids have, you know, a tussle, they you'll see them shake sometimes. Um, and so you, you can take an upbeat song and um, you successively go through shaking all parts of your body and it will change the vibration that lives in your body. And you will come into a more neutral or even alive place, depending on what your system is like. And that is the place when you can start to make different decisions. So when your body is holding the the feelings around the story that say, "I'm afraid, this isn't safe," um, I'm really angry, I'm really disconnected. You can't get, you cannot shift from a thinking place. And so, getting into the body, um, and many people I see are like really um, consistent exercisers, uh-huh. <laughs> and so. If you're in if you ha- if you're someone who exercises and you zone out when you exercise that that's not going to work for this. Let's so, just take
2: a quick breath here. We've <clears throat> you've said the word koya many times and I would yes. love to just explore that a little bit and understand yeah. it, a great introduction understanding this really visceral shaking it off.
0: But can you give us kind of the 101? Yeah, yeah. So koya, I found koya through um, you know, serendipity and it is a movement practice that combines free movement sensual movement and kind of dancing your yoga as prayer. And it's for people of all movement levels. I I do not claim dancer. I, I was not a dancer before this, <laughs> um, but it's a kind of a 13, um, 13 kind of section practice. And the music is your co-facilitator. So you're using the vibrations and the lyrics of the music to help facilitate an experience for people to get into their bodies. And so the premise of Koya is that Um, through movement, we remember as women that we are wise, wild, and free. That's amazing. That's beautiful. It's, it's, I mean, um, many of my therapy clients come, many therapists come to my Koya classes, and they send their therapy clients. And people who've been doing really important work get a deeper um, integration and knowing through Koya practices because your hips tell you the truth, your heart tells you the truth, not your brain. And sometimes our heart has been trying to tell us something for a long time, but our brain blocks that communication. Um, or, you know, it's like my hair tells me in Koya or, um, you know, it's, it's through the movement then, but then there's also a lot of partner sharing in Koya. And, um, when you start to hear that every single person in the room is going through something and that they're getting huge, like medicine or ahas from the movement practices, you kind of open up to what, where your shifts are. You know, Um, when we
2: first started talking today, you mentioned that you've been on this path to awakening for a while, and that you've been resisting it, and it was only in the last year that you'd really sort of stepped in. And I wonder if maybe our listeners may have had that moment too, saying, wait a minute, that woman has an incredibly impressive bio and has been doing phenomenal work, (laughs) and she just dared to be vulnerable with us to say, in the last year, things have really shifted for me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might have mentioned that Koya was part of your journey just in the last twelve months or so.
0: And Tantric, yeah, Tantric tantric work, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that you know everyone's um, capacity for doing the work is what the capacity is. Like we sometimes wish our capacity different, but I know that part of me, like I would say, it's like the one to ten percent of me, um, um, just was not able to be all in. Because I have a big part of my story is that I have been too much for many people. Mm. And um, I have um, been uh, pushed away by many people, especially women. And um, when, you know, you have a self-fulfilling prophecy and it keeps on happening, (laughs) you're like, oh, what's that about? Um, It makes you pause and pay attention eventually. Well, I've been paying attention for a long time, but I didn't understand um, how to shift it. Mm. um you know no matter what i no matter what i did or what what i kind of sat with around it mm. um and i had many practices in place but it just seemed implausible that i was ever going to attract um people who would be okay enough with themselves for me to be who i am um so when i came into koya um you know Koya attracts many different kinds of people. Some people have never been to therapy. Some people have done a ton of therapy. (laughs) Um, But it's it's people, it's a community where people um, want to be connected and um, uh, they're they're not about the story. And uh, that was probably the first time I was with a group of women who really were not about story. And what happened in my body when I allowed myself to be in that kind of space was kind of like a psycho-spiritual awakening. And I've had many kind of peak experiences before, but this this one in particular, um, you do Shavasana at the end of um, Koya. And for those of you who don't know, that that's a yoga practice and you just lay, you lay on the ground. <laughs> and I've been doing yoga since I was 14 years old. And um, so, you know, a good... Um, <laughs> Good 20 plus years of yoga by the time I came to the Koya Shavasana. And um, I, it was in Woodstock, New York at the Menla Retreat Center. And oh, that's
1: in our neighborhood.
0: I know. You guys should check it out. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's truly a healing center. Um, and in my guided imagery that came up during my Shavasana, um, a wolf came out of a cave and the wolf was breathing into the air. And the air was cold in the room, but it wasn't as cold as it was in the image. And the wolf came out of the cave and was really heavily breathing. And then the wolf's breath came over me in the room. Mm. And, um, that was the beginning of the divine masculine starting to seek me. And, um, I just like all the people I see, I had functioned from this diminished masculine place of like really being able to, um, do many things and, um, really get a lot of shit done. (laughs) But I wasn't in balance and um, with the divine masculine seeking me, it really started to allow me to soften into my feminine, my divine feminine, which I was utterly and completely disconnected from. <laughs> um, and it, you know, it's when when people hear the words divine feminine and divine masculine, there's all kinds of associations, and it's idiosyncratic. So, I'm, what, I'm what,
1: wanting to to learn more about your experience of the divine masculine through this wolf, though. Like I. I want to dive in a little bit more and understand oh. how how you you soaked the story in and how it sh- how it shifted you.
0: What kind of transformation did this moment bring? Um, I mean, it it, um, it you know it's the wolf has always been in my life. Um, one of my I'm not a Jungian um, analyst, but I have a lot of Jungian training, um, and so archetypes are very known to me um and the wolf had been visiting me for some time but it it was uh, a lone wolf and i was a lone wolf and um this wolf was very different and it was um it was it was seeking me and um when when i felt that in my body it was um it was a psycho spiritual awakening and um it it woke up my body in a way that I had never experienced before. And, um, it showed me what was possible. He helped Um, you tell a new story. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it it wasn't even, it was, it wasn't even a new story. It was like, here's the blank campus. Mm. (laughs) Um, and it was like, anything is possible. And, um, the wolf told me to become a Koya teacher and, (laughs) and, um, if you would have told me I was going to become a Koya teacher or a tantric coach, I would have like peed my pants. Did,
1: did those two pieces
0: professionally flow into your life around the same time? I went to my first Koya retreat in October of uh, 2015, and then I became a Koya certified teacher in January of 2016, and then I started my first like tantric exploration in February of 2016.
2: Now is there a natural relationship between koya and Tantric work or is that your bridge that you built between the two
0: um, that's my bridge but I feel like there's a lot of just um, when you take the the true energetics of Tantra it is very aligned with a lot of koya do you um, want to I talk think,
1: about that a little bit because I, I know some of us might understand it but many of our listeners might not, might not
0: yeah, hear yeah. Us yet. I mean even, even like my, my good friends will say Amy you need to put on your website that you're not touching anyone and no one's taking off any clothes. <laughs> <So, laughs>
2: Cause everyone's still thinking about sting and having sex for hours,
0: right? <laughs> right. Right. So I mean that's, and and when people Google Tantra, that's what they, they think that it is. And, um, Tantra really is the practice of becoming your source for source. Mm. And it's, you know, Koya woke me up, but Tantra was like, you know, I was also guided to become a Tantra coach and, I thought, well, all the women I see, they're they're going to be waking up through Koya, and then tantra is just going to really help them like blow it through the roof in terms of becoming the sacred rebel, let's say. And so then when I got to month two of my tantric training, I was like, oh, this sacred rebel has a lot of blocks, Mm -hmm. and um, I had no idea how profoundly blocked I was, and um, you know, the healing that my body needed um, that I didn't even know. I needed. And um, one of the biggest tools that I use as a tantric coach is the tantric breath work. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to koya. Um, There's kind of a grounding process, then there's like a kind of getting into it process. Like I, it's, it comes, it draws from like a lot of kundalini um, practices. So it's ujjay breath and then the breath of fire. And in the breath of fire, you kind of cook your chakras to see where the blocks are. And then um, you end with the sound breath and the sound that we use in Tantra is ha. And when you use the sound breath, you're calling in really what you want and desire. And many, many women that I see um, can know what everybody what they want for everybody else, but they don't know what they want for themselves. And um, it's really powerful practice, just like shaking to get into your power and to clear the things that are blocking you. So the second breath unblocks you. Um, and the third breath, like opens you up to what's possible. And, um, I, when I offer, um, some of the Koya classes, I will combine with some tantric workshops sometimes. And when you have a group of 30 or 40 women all doing the sound breath, it's pretty incredible because you can feel the vibrational, um, healing that happens. And when Koya you, the, the Koya practice, it's a spiral inquiry. So you spiral into the theme and then you spiral out of the theme with movement and with um, the process of the class. And people can feel, women can feel the spiraling energy and the spiraling energy is the divine feminine and it spirals in within the structure. And so the structure is the divine masculine and both with Koya and with Tantra in your body, you can feel your own sacred union happening and and in
1: that sacred union in that space of unblocking and unlocking all these resistances within you you get into a place where you start embracing the sacred rebel but what does that look like how does that show up uniquely and differently for each woman but what are also the similarities what's what's the so defining
0: if, cat- characteristic of that so i i had i just had a retreat around the sacred rebel which is you know, a couple weeks ago and it was 50 women. And the themes that that emerged were the clarity and the power um, and the connectedness. So rather than feeling like it's me and my job at the FBI doing this, or it's me at the World Bank doing this, or it's me as a reading specialist doing this, it's, it's the awareness, like the, the awake, the awakened awareness that we're doing this as a, a network of women doing this together. And um, rather than having the story, oh, everyone else is here and I belong, uh, you know, I, they belong and I don't belong because my work doesn't really matter or because I'm not awake enough or I'm not um, fearless enough or what, you know whatever the story is. Um, it's that we're all right where we belong and it's happening exactly as it should um, and that it wouldn't be happening if we were to do it alone as lone wolves Um, and because it's the power of women coming together um, that the sacred rebel is is awakened.
2: So how does this, as I'm thinking about sacred rebels, I'm thinking about women gathered together. I can't help but think about that big old March that happened in your neighborhood (laughs) just a month or so ago. You know, how can you help us see the march through your lens, because I'm, I'm looping back. Previously, we were talking about how even that concept of no, no band, no wall is putting energy towards something that may be disturbing us that we don't even want to be focusing on. How does that play with this idea of resistance and knowing that that's a really powerful, motivating source for so many people right now? And that may have been a big reason why people showed up on the mall in Washington and across the world.
0: So what I what I know to be true is that, you know, for some people, they they need to do it that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, there is no right or wrong. But for the people who are able to come to their own experience of how do I show up as the sacred rebel with curiosity or non-judgment, mm-hmm. um, it's being able to say, like, what if I scan my psyche or I scan my soul and I have an inquiry around what really matters? What really matters is inclusivity or what really matters is, um, you know, a better education system or what really matters is, um, unisex bathrooms, like whatever your things are, right. Then that's where you put the energy towards. And, um, you know, at at the March, there are many people chanting about Trump Mm -hmm. and, and the women that, that were with me, we knew that that's not why we came to that March. And, you know, there's always going to be, um, a continuum of experiences around any, any dynamic. And that is a choice. But when you, when you play with, or when you experiment coming from an aligned truth, that's um, deeply embedded with integrity in your body, not from your head, you can see, you can start to feel, oh, this, I'm a yes to this. And this is what I'm going to march for, or this is what I'm going to gather around, or this is what I'm going to call my representatives around right versus, um, like you, a question that I often will offer is like, what is life giving? And you can feel the energy diminish or deplete you when you're not aligned. And, um, you know, of course there's the the rebel is going to fight a good fight, but when you fight a good fight, you're energized, you're not depleted. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that tracks with, you know, your partnership, that tracks with parenting, that that tracks with, you know, what your work is in the world. And when you when you continue to get the feedback, like, this way is not working anymore because I am burnt out. Like, my adrenals are failing. My doctor's telling me, or, you know, people are telling me you have dark circles or people are telling me, you know, your energy is really low or you seem ex- exacerbated all the time. That's making Um,
1: me think, Amy, of some of the couples I work with who come in because they feel like they're kind of sleeping through their relationships. Yes. You know, and a lot of our work is about kind of getting back into that embodied place, getting back into the place where they're more awake and inspired and desirous of being in relationship with one another, even in the midst of all the resistance. The resistance in and of itself is not the issue, it's not where they have conflict. It's that they they want to be in this thing. It sounds to me like we're kind of talking a little bit about that too.
0: Yeah, I mean, totally. Like, it's like when you, like Pema Chodron is wonderful about talking about the edge of discomfort. And oftentimes people don't want to um, go past the fear and the resistance part because they're so afraid of being overwhelmed by like what I call, like I envision it as the lake of discomfort. And when you begin to have the divine masculine experience of it, you see that the lake has an edge. And when you allow yourself to feel the edge of what the discomfort is and really fully let yourself feel it, then the edge recedes and the lake disappears. And, um, you know, a big part of being a sacred rebel is, is knowing that in this lifetime, no one will burn us. No one will jail us. The ACLU will help us. Um, so you know, it's like if, radical trust. Yeah, and it's, and it's the sense like, you know, in a, in a partnership, um, if you've done everything you know how to do and you and your partner have given it this best shot, if this relationship is not meant to be, something is going to be for you. It's not going to be the end of you. And like whatever, whatever albatross we're bearing in, in this lifetime, because we've all had horrible, horrible things happen, right? Like that's the nature of choosing to be human, that nothing can destroy us it's only our fear that we be destroyed and giving yourself opportunities with other people to know that you're not alone in it, that, um, pushing through and doing it the way you've always done it is, is not working. And being vulnerable to say, I need help, or I want to let myself feel like most people I see, they're down with the, the hard feelings. <laughs> they struggle with joy. They struggle with pleasure. They struggle with happiness they struggle with all the good what, what the perceived good feelings are and it's like that's where the edge is for most people
1: but you're talking also about you know that that space of getting vulnerable and how that could potentially help us connect and I know you've done a lot of work with Brene Brown when you're working with your clients when you're doing your own depth work you know I'm curious how you bring that vulnerability to the table how you help people connect in that way um You know, if we're talking about the lone wolf and then we're talking about kind of getting back to the pack, how do we help the connection happen? Because the connection doesn't happen from the place of of the walls. It doesn't happen from the place of the resistance. It doesn't happen um, from a place of being scared and afraid. It happens from a place of opening and like being cracked open and receptive. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm hearing a lot about the the rebellion. I'm not hearing as much, I guess, about the receptivity and yeah. that space oh, yeah, of vulnerability. Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, yeah. So, um, along with the ideas that, um, it's the edge for most people I see is to feel really, really let themselves feel the positive feeling. It's receiving the positive feelings and you can't let yourself receive the positive feelings if you have walls up and with, from yourself or from other people and, um, learning to soften into your body and grieve. It's, uh, there's a lot of grief work with it. So it's grieving that you've put these walls up between you and yourself, like the versions of you or the iterations of you that push through and that fought yourself or fought other people, because that's the only way you know how to do it. Like that's an immense amount of grief work or um, the grief work around why did I let myself live like this for so long? That's, that's painful.
1: <laughs> it, it is painful. And I think it's a place that many of us come up against at some point in our lives. And one of the things that we like to explore on this podcast is you know, we talk to a lot of people who are healers and therapists and transformational professionals. And we want to know what, what was the moment that helped you see this is your path and this is how you bring it to the world. And I know you talked a bit about the wolf coming to you, um, in your asana, but I'm, I'm wondering also if there's, you know, you alluded a little bit to your own resistance, um, to having, having been too much for many people, um, to being the lone wolf. So I'm just curious kind of, you know, what, what was, what was what's your story in there? You also talked a little bit about, um, women who made it not about a story and that, that really piqued my curiosity because, um, you know, that, that, that cle- cleansing of the palate, that, that space of getting rid of the story and, and opening to new possibilities, which is, I think, how I recall you talking about that, that, um, I mean, that sounds like a transformational place in your life.
0: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, so um, it's that, that piece around um, really trusting that I can call in women who, who can fully honor and see themselves. And that gives me the space to be me. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm no longer calling in people that um, I'm the bright and shiny one, um, and that I'm, or that I'm very, very different than other people. Um, so I've always kind of been like this outlier. That's been a big part of my experience. And so, starting to call in women or recultivate relationships with friends where it is um, really, truly equal, and it doesn't mean that it's like we're all perfect and everything's great. <laughs> it means that we're, you know, we're imperfect, but we're also able to really be a lot. When you get into that place of, really, my body's going to tell me what the truth is, and I know what a full body yes is. I know what a, it scares the shit out of me, but I'm going to do it anyways. When, when people start to understand those embodied sense, sense uh, ways of being, that is when the sacred re- rebellion can, can really um, unfold, and, and be accessible to you.
1: You know, we often talk about how you have to be able to look in, in order to see out, and you have to be able to see in, in order to be seen. That we believe that part of the practice of being seen is being able to see yourself so that the world can see you and also so that you can digest how the world sees you. And um, play off of those reflections a little bit. Not that you're trying to be perfect, but that you are um, opening your awareness and seeing yourself, seeing those reflections around you. Um, I'm curious how this plays into that
0: a little bit. Most women, everyone else can see them except for themselves. Mm. (laughs) And so it's the the knowing that you've blocked yourself from seeing yourself because it comes from the sourcing and the power
1: and and in the community that you create the women help each other see themselves see each other
0: yeah and it's just a mirroring because it's just natural and and then they start to see themselves so when they hear the things that other women are saying they're like well I say that about myself right and I see this woman in a completely different way so am I saying bullshit about myself and the answer is yes People know in their bodies when they get a, like what we call a somatic anchor mm-hmm. that is your your energy's lining up in a straight line like a plumb line or when your heart or your chest expands and you feel more energy opening. So those are ways that your body tells you. So I think it's important for folks listening because all kinds of, you know, there's therapists and non-therapists alike listening. Yes. All, you know, it's important for people to really have um, the knowledge that looking inside it's different for all of us and that um people people on the outside get you you're the one, you're probably the only one who's not getting you if you're if you're surrounded by some people who really honor you and respect you because it's it's not we're not talking about the people who put you down <laughs> that's not the, that's not the feedback we're talking about um not not knowing what people's backgrounds are who are listening but you know when you have people who really honor you and respect you and love you for who you are, when they're telling you things and you you can't receive that, it's because you're blocking yourself from hearing it, from taking it in, from seeing it within yourself. Because they wouldn't see it if you weren't that person.
1: Hmm.
0: And I think that's am just digesting especially, that especially potent for partners, right? Because oftentimes in partner work, one partner's like loving the hell out of the other partner. And that part the other partner who doesn't receive is like in the story from the past to it's not safe to be seen or loved right? and you know, softening into like wow, this partner, partner a like loves this person so much and they just want them to see themselves the way this partner loves them. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's some hard, hard work around vulnerability and learning to soften in and to say like, it can be different and you can be seen and you can be known and you can be loved. Hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that is, that is a sacred rebellion yeah. because you're going to allow every- yourself
1: to soften and to be seen. That's part of yeah. the sacred
0: rebellion. Yeah. Cause okay. you're going against everything you've ever known because yeah. it hasn't been safe. And it, that was a real thing. Um, and so to do things differently in an aligned way where there's trust and there's safety and true love, like that's imperfect love. <laughs> like that's what a sacred rebellion is. It's to soften. And it's this. It's the same way when we come into our sacred work, because when when these women that I see are in these agencies and these high up positions, it is an imperfect, in a perfect system, and these are imperfect positions, and um, to show up every day to do it and to know that you're making a difference, no matter how big or small the impact is in the actual like numbers or what's going on around you. Like, it is a ripple effect, and it is, it is. Um, cumulative and it's no different in partnerships or friendships or you know whatever that whatever the relationship is with self or other.
1: I think this is a great place for us to kind of land on. This place of being able to receive and to soften and to see ourselves. That feels like such a gift and such a great place for our listeners to maybe just kind of let that that soak in and resonate. Yeah. And I'm you know it's funny when I was reading Those first lines that you had offered
2: to us about sacred rebellion, sacred leadership, sacred unions, they really felt like container terms, Mm -hmm. and I feel like this whole conversation is essentially a container. container. And, you know, there's a lot, obviously, we've added in this dialogue to it, but there's a lot, I think, that our listeners are going to be able to put in themselves and sort of sit with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I, I would really just invite them to give themselves permission to come to um, join a container where they can experience one of those things. Mm,
1: Yeah. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about some of the stuff you have going on for 2017?
0: I would love to do that. Um, so I am in the process of creating a, um, a teleclass, which is an edge for me (laughs) and it's going to be probably through zoom and it's going to be about sacred sensuality and sexuality. And um, the the classes will be recorded, but they'll also be live, and there'll be a mix of tantric breathwork, maybe some Koya, and then a theme um, around sacred unions, twin flames, um, multiple orgasms, um, questions that are taboo, that are kind of scary to ask, but in a community that feels safe. Um, And we'll have um, a meeting in person, like a four-hour workshop in person, at the beginning, at the end. Um, and then, and that in-person
1: meeting will happen in DC,
0: in DC. Um, and I will, um, be doing a doodle to see like if the stars can align as many people can come as possible. Um, for those that don't
1: know, no doodle is a, um, scheduling technology that helps people all find a time. To connect, it kind of sounds like a sacred practice that you might be doing. I'm just (laughs) pulling in some
2: like I will draw out calendars with spirals, and it will be perfect.
0: Um, And I'm not making fun of you at all, Amy. Only because I'm like that would sound really cool too. Yeah, I'm like oh, they'll they'll do that for me. (laughs) And then I'm also offering um, a retreat in Mount Shasta from July seventh to fourteenth, and it is um, focused on connecting with the energy of the mountains and the guides there, and my co-retreat guide, Miyuki um, Yamamoto from Japan, is coming. And um, we're going to be doing sweat lodge, um, koya every day, and working with some of the guides, the spiritual guides of Mount Shasta, going to sacred lakes and different things and doing shamanic rituals. And um, really deeping, deepening into um, what your archetypal energies and your gifts are and your power are or is. And then I'm flying to Japan in November and Yuki and I are offering our Japan retreat again, um, in Aso, Japan from November, uh, 11th to 18th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a foodie trip. Like it could be on, you know, food and wine. There's not really alcohol, but <laughs> it's a foodie trip. And we go to many sacred sites that are, that Japanese people don't even go to. And, um, we get into some systems work and uh, really deepening into into relationship with self and
1: others. Mm, sounds beautiful. Brilliant.
0: We'll share links to that for everybody in the show. Notes. Thank you, thank you.
1: And your website where people can find you.
0: So they can find me for that kind of work at amytatsumi.com dot com, and then they can find um, all the lovely therapists who do work similar to me at my therapy website, which is your soul therapy and my associates are um, in DC and I have an associate in Colorado who works virtually
1: awesome so we'll we'll make sure to include all of that in our show notes for our listeners Amy thank you so much for spending some time with us today it was really delightful to get to know you in this way and to dive deeper into this really embodied sense of um, of learning more about what that sacred rebellion is thank you for holding
0: that container for us Well, thank you for having your container for me to
2: share my container. (laughs) We need a sexier word than container. I mean, you know, it's such a beautiful and evocative and clunky sounding term for something as brilliantly divine, feminine, goddessy, fabulous as it is. Well, you know, the
0: the vessel, portal. (laughs) Yes. All these good things.
1: Thank you so much. For more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Farris and produced at Stone <laughs> Studio.